Wine Thieves, Season 2, Episode 8, The Old Vines Project. Hunting for vineyards in South Africa, preserving and protecting them, improving the lives of growers, and making distinctive wines. With special guests Rosa Kruger and Andre Morgenthal of The Old Vine Project, and Andrew Harris of DGB Wines and Spirits. The farm workers, because they've been in the fields for all these generations, showed me a lot of these vineyards. They phoned me or they caught me next to the road or in the vineyard and told me about these places. And then I started finding really spectacular vineyards. Welcome to Season 2 of Wine Thieves, the podcast for wine lovers. I'm Sarah D'Amato. And I'm John Subbo. And together, we'll be your guides to the insider's world of wine, bringing you weekly interviews with top winemakers and winery owners. And giving you the scoop on what matters most, namely great wine, and where and how it's made. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Wine Thieves. In today's episode... How cataloging old vines in South Africa has raised standards for fair employment, sustainable farming, and just may prove to be the key to solving the problem of the country's most prevalent vine virus, leaf roll. In the Old Vine Project, we look to rehabilitate and preserve vineyards in South Africa older than 35 years. And we try to set a, a culture of planting to grow old. We are indeed taking on the subject of old vines, this time from a different perspective as we look to the certified heritage vineyards of South Africa. And we hope you've built up an appetite for the subject after last week's head-turning conversation with the South Australian duo of Dr. Dylan Grigg, the man who wrote the PhD thesis on old vines after an extensive study of the old vines of the Barossa Valley, and Prue Henschke, viticulturalist for the renowned Henschke Winery that produces two of the oldest single vineyard wines in Australia today. Now, it's not a prerequisite for today's show, but Griggs' findings may just come up once or twice in conversation today, so feel free to go back and have a listen if you missed it. And quick reminder, don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. You can listen to us on platforms such as iHeartRadio, Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and of course our home site of wineline.com, or really pretty much anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts. So Sarah, let's get into the heart of the matter. Did you know that South Africa is the only country in the world where claims of old vines on wine labels are certified by a regulatory authority? So terms like old vines in English and vieille vigne in French are two of the very common labeling claims used on wine labels globally. But as far as I know, they're not regulated. You have to take the word of the producer that these wines are actually made from old vines. So for example, when I see the term old vines on a California Zinfandel, I often think that those vines are probably 60 plus years old as there's a wealth of old vine Zinfandel in the state. But in places like France, I feel I still can generally trust that vieille vigne on the label means that the vines are older, but how old? 20 years, 35 years, 80 years? Who knows? How old is old indeed? We don't know, but I would say that skepticism of the reality aside, the term old vines certainly helps to sell wine. People in the trade, and also say well-informed consumers, tend to believe that old vines equals 
better wine. But is that really true? We encourage you to listen to last week's episode to find out more about that topic. But spoiler alert, a more accurate expression might be old vines make different wines. And Sarah, if I can speak for both of us, I think we've come to think that those differences are worth preserving and protecting. Now, happily, there is a movement in South Africa whose core mission is to do just that, preserve and protect old vines. Winery members of what is known as the Old Vine Project can now put a certified Heritage Vineyards seal on bottles. And the threshold for old is 35 years, which is not quite as arbitrary a number as you might think. Again, listen to episode 6 of season 2 to understand. And the seal includes the date of the original planting of each of these old vineyards. It's a guarantee of authenticity. And you can, in fact, check the number on each seal that can be traced back to that planting date. But the Old Vines Project, importantly, is not only about what's old now. The OVP's mission is to develop the culture of caring for younger vines, too, so that they can be, quote, planted to grow old. And to that end, the OVP has undertaken research and organized training sessions for grape growers throughout the country. And along the way, important collateral benefits of that very mission have emerged, namely better wages and fair working practices for growers. The OVP believes, and I quote one of today's guests and founders of the Old Vines Project, Rosa Kruger, quote, we also believe that the renewed focus on the quality that old vines in South Africa can give will help raise the price of grapes in our country. And hopefully an increased price for grapes will contribute to better pay and living conditions for our farm workers. So how did this determination to promote and protect old vines arise in South Africa? They're not the only country concerned with honing in on the definition of old vines. Australia is certainly making strides on creating terms for specific age ranges of vineyards. But in South Africa, transparency is key and largely because of the availability of accurate planting date records that, as we will find out, go back to the beginning of the 20th century. To give some background context, as of 2021, South Africa has just over 93,000 hectares of vineyard planted in total, of which just over 4,000, actually 4,004 to be accurate, hectares of vineyards are 35 years and older. And that's according to the South African Industry Information and Systems Online Database, Savis, as it's better known. And you can check this all out at savis.co.za, S-A-W-I-S dot C-O dot Z-A. So, it's not a huge percentage, but it's still an important number, and the list of old vineyards is quite varied and widespread, covering most of the Western Cape and its various geologies, and for the record, there are 10 vineyards documented at over 100 years. And if you head to the Old Vines Project website, which is oldvineproject.co.za, there are up-to-date facts and figures galore. So, for example, Stellenbosch and Swartland have more hectares of old vines than any district in South Africa, with respectively 958 and 778 hectares and at least 35 years of age or more. That's right, and uh, also worth knowing, in fact, you probably already know that Chenin Blanc is the most widely planted grape in South Africa, so unsurprisingly, it accounts for the most old vines. Following Chenin, the most represented varieties in the old vine catalogue are Sauvignon Blanc, Colombard, Muscat d'Alexandrie, Pinotage, Sanso, Palomino, and Semillon. 
Interesting to note, Sarah, that six of those top eight are white varieties. That's a little nod to South Africa's past, their heritage, and certainly their brandy production, for which white grapes were largely important. Very much so. And quickly, a couple pieces of background information before we introduce our three guests. You'll hear some discussion of Wine Tech, which is an independent South African non-profit company that receives and manages the research levy from the South African wine industry that everyone pays into. Now, wine Tech has four core functions, research and development, knowledge transfer, innovation, and people development. You'll also hear mention of the Chenin Blanc Association of South Africa. Now, that's an organization dedicated to ensuring that South African Chenin Blanc takes its rightful place with the other great white wines of the world, as well as taking on research and development projects, which we'll hear about in the interview. So if you want some more information, you can go to chenin.co.za for more information. Always one of my favorite tastings when I'm down in South Africa is with the Chenin Blanc Association because they put on a great show. And of course, there are so many amazing old vines and even young vines Chenin planted. Right. Now let's welcome our guest. First up, former lawyer turned viticulturist Rosa Kruger, who is the founder of this small privately funded group of crusaders that we've mentioned, the Old Vines Project. Now you might recognize the name. Kruger is the great-great-granddaughter of Paul Kruger, who was president of South Africa from 1883 to 1900, and the one for whom the famous Kruger National Park is named. During her travels and tastings around the world of wine, Kruger arrived at the realization that Old Vines not only had an advantage on a viticultural level, but also produced better, or at least distinctive wine. So Rosa's colleague and counterpart at the OVP, Andre Morgenthal, also jo- is also joining us. Andre has lectured at the Cape Wine Academy and also wrote a wine column for a Sunday business newspaper. He's worked several vintages at Domaine Bertagnan and Vougeot, Burgundy, made wine at a small Stellenbosch property, Clos de Ciel, in 2001, he joined the Wines of South Africa, WOSA, as communications manager with a focus on media relations. But in 2016, he resigned from WOSA to start his own business, among other ventures, assisting Rosa Kruger with the Old Vines Project. And our third guest at the roundtable today is Andrew Harris of DGB, one of the largest South African producers and distributors of wine and spirits. DGB has developed and built some of the most successful wine brands in South Africa, names like Bosch & Dahl, Franschuk Cellars, and Bellingham, among many others. And they're also involved in new projects through artisanal brands, such as the Old Road Wine Co. and Friars Cove, which DGB acquired last year. DGB is also an important member of the Old Vine Project and manages more old vineyards than any other group in SA. Rosa, Andre, and Andrew joined us from the Cape Winelands. Hi, my name is Rosa Kruger. I design, plant, and manage vineyards for specific lines with the aim to make high-quality wines. Hopefully, we will make high-quality wines from them. I've also have had the privilege of running with the Old Vine Project now for 20 years, five years or six years with Andre and Nadia. And uh, in the Old Vine Project, we look to rehabilitate and preserve vineyards in South Africa older than 35 years. And we try to set a, a culture of planting to grow old. 
in other words, to plant a vineyard now in the right way, and we have very specific uh, ways how we do it, that the vineyard will grow old. And in a hundred years' time, when my great-grandchildren is running around here, that they will be making wine from that vineyard. Terrific. And we've Excellent. got several questions on, on that subject as well. Planting to exactly. grow old, but we'll get to that in a moment. Andre. I'm Andre Morgenthau, and I am the manager of the Old Vine Project since 2016. And when Rosa poached me from Wine Sources Africa, and uh, Nadia joined us three, four years ago, and actually makes things work. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> Thank you. And Andrew, over to you. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Andrew Harris. Um, I'm the marketing director for DGB. And we're a, a large wine brand owner in, in South Africa, and, and we've got a number of a number of brands that we that we produce and uh, and we sell both locally and internationally. And we have a number of of old vine wines that uh, that we're very proud of, and uh, they, they play a significant role within our portfolio. Well, thank you, Andrew. So, Rosa, why don't we start with you before we ask you about the where of old vines in South Africa? How do you define an old vine? Very simply, we decided many years ago that a vineyard that is 35 years and older deserves to be called an old vine. Uh, internationally now, I think it's fairly widely recognized that 35 years is the age, but there's no signs behind it. There was no fancy work done. I just decided one day I drove past an old vine and it was about 35 years old. And I said, okay, now you're an old, you're old now. You deserve to be treated as an old vine. And that's how that's where the date comes from. It's interesting that that baseline seems to be, I mean, you're quite right, 35 years internationally. You look at the, the Old mm-hmm. Vine Charter in Barossa, it starts at 35. Other parts of the world, California has their heritage vineyards, Argentina. But everyone seems to agree that at 35 years and beyond, something different happens. But let's back up for a second here. Just tell us a little bit of background about the Old Vine project itself. When you came to realize that Old Vines have more to offer, perhaps, and, and are worth preserving, just walk us through the, the history of the organization. When I started traveling in 2000. And one, that's 21 years ago, I visited many vineyards all over the world because I'd never studied viticulture and I realized that I have to learn fast and furiously to catch up. And first I went to France, of course, and I saw a lot of the old vines there called Via Vigna on the label. And I, I asked the winemakers, but what is this? And they said, this is from old vineyards. And I could see when I arrived at a place, the winemakers always wanted to show you their old wines first. So it gave me the impression that there was something special about the old wines. I tasted the wines internationally, Argentina as well, um, Germany, Spain, everywhere. And it just left an impression on me of maybe not higher quality, but a different quality. It seems to represent a certain strength that I don't find in other ones. But I don't say it makes a better one, please. It just makes a wine with a difference. I came back to South Africa and I started doing my homework and realized that there's lots of old wines in South Africa, but we don't know where they are. And people don't pay a premium for those wines. Mark Kent from Bukharatskluv then did make a semiol from the old, old semiol in but never called it old vines and never took the credit for that. But he did see that it it does deserve a place. I started traveling. I went to our industry body here called Savas. They regulate all planting and all wine that's made in South Africa from all ages. And I asked them for the list of vineyards older than 35 years. At that time, 
they were not prepared to give it to me because it was regarded as confidential information. Then I started traveling with my car and I started finding beautiful sites like Skirfberg. Andrew Harris knows Skirfberg. Andrew worked with me for a long time. I found Skirfberg. The farm workers, because they've been in the fields for all these generations, showed me a lot of these vineyards. They found me or they caught me next to the road or in the vineyard and told me about these places. And then I started finding really spectacular vineyards. And the first person I found was Lormara. The winemaker there at the time was Neil Patterson and Evan Sadi. Everybody knows Evan Sadi. And I said to them, listen, I'm standing at Lang Lang's Vineyard in Skirfberg. It's a semio of, I'm not sure how that semio is. It's very old. It's as old as um, Gary. Same birth. Gary who? Oh, that's about 60. That's what it was. Well, it was old. And I found it when I said, this is something just, I can just feel it. There's something special. He made the wine. And with my luck, the wine was absolutely spectacular. The other winemaker started finding me and that's how it started. Then the thing just started rolling. Now we have 140 members. We increase the vineyard hectare every year of all vines in South Africa. And we, I must say, we do make, really, really nice wines from most of these vineyards. Andre, you've been involved with the wines of South Africa, or you were since 2001, and you were involved in wine tourism, but you you recently left Wines of South Africa, starting your own business and assisting Rosa with the Old Vines Project. So can you tell us how, how that came about? How did you and Rosa first meet? While I was at Wines of South Africa, um, Rosa and I engaged in conversations about viticulture, and we met up sort of uh, socially at a small restaurant in Selimbosch called Greengate, which is a healthy free range and whatever restaurant. And we had lunch there. Impromptu, Many times. Impromptu. We'll bump into each other. I'll be there with my laptop doing some work and she'll rush in from a vineyard on the way to the next vineyard. And we'll have a quick chat about what's happening in the vineyards. It was very valuable for me because I, uh, my job at, at Woza was a communication manager. So I dealt with the media and sommeliers in trade, and they wanted to know what's happening with the vintage, and I got a lot of information from Rosa regarding that over the years, and that's many years, that's 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And obviously the old vine story came up all the time, but it was not progressing the way that she wanted it to progress. And there were people in Stellenbosch and the ones she asking Rosa, where is this going? What's this old vine movement? Is it not going to evolve? And she would say, but... Um, I don't have money to employ people and to move the project right. forward. And uh, what happened then? And then I went to look for, with my hat around, looking for money. And we got seed, seed funding from Johan Rupert, who gave us a certain amount of money to start the project. Since then, we've built the project incredibly. Andre and Nadia has been doing an in- incredible job. We're now mostly self-funding. and We're not there yet. We are there But the story is in 2016, when Rissa got the seed funding, she approached me and said, okay, now I've got the funding uh, and I've got to do this and this and this and this and again at Greengate. And I said to her, but who's going to do that and that and that? And she said, you. (laughs) (laughs) And that was was the week before I resigned. So on on Friday, we had a, a, a meeting with the potential directors at Mr. Rupert's home where he grew up in Stellenbosch with um, his accountant and over the weekend I decided to resign by Monday morning I I, I resigned and, and then two weeks later started the project and the first couple of years I must admit was quite dark you know we, we um, John you mentioned the 35 year old story that's something we wanted to establish right in the beginning and mm-hmm. at the last Provine I had the 
um, privileged it was uh, um, to all one project across. We were the keynote speaker and topic, and I spent a few days walking around uh, the halls, visiting all the countries, and I made appointments with all the countries where there are old vines, and everybody agreed with me that 35, 40 years is, is old vine status. So I established that quite early in, in, in the game. But the first couple of years were quite difficult to find a way, a business model, because nobody else has done this before. There is the Barossa Charter, there's the guys in Lodi, there's the Napa Register, and there's a small group of people, guys down in Chile called Vino. I met with them at Provine, but nobody has got an official old vine project the way we are doing it and with a self-sufficient business yeah and with Mm -hmm. with people running it every day so that was a challenge to write that songbook if you would to make it work and to find a financial way to make it work and now we're on five and a half years Uh, we still have some of mr rupert's funding but we still have a way to go to make it self-sufficient totally self-sufficient so andre what is the mission of the old vine project obviously to preserve old vines but does it go beyond that that's a very good question in the beginning my perception was and my understanding was that the mandate is to keep old vines in the ground very soon when i've met the farmers for example hink lang who's sadly passed away recently uh, at his lunch table, told us that when Russa arrived and uh, they were busy pulling up vines because it was not financially viable anymore, and that, that's the bottom line why people pull out the vineyards and replace it with fruit and so on. He said Russa started selling those vineyards that were selling for one and a half, two thousand rand a ton to the local co-op, and uh, Russa managed to start pushing up the prices, and and that's what we started building on from there to create a conscious business model. And, and sentiment between the grower and the brand over that you now pay 10, 12, 15, sometimes 30,000 rand a ton or per parcel. And that's not the silver bullet, as I always say, for to save the farmer. You can buy a new tractor. You can put solar panels on your workers' roofs. There's lots of things you can put your kids through school. So Hank's third child graduated two years ago on old vine money. And that is heartwarming for us. So to come back to the, the mandate, it's not old vines only. It is also about humanitarian resources mm-hmm. and keeping farmers in business, keeping the workers in their jobs. And that's something that Andrew can also highlight in terms of what they're as, a, as quite a, a big company, one of our, I think, if not our biggest member by volume um, at Aldo Project, can talk about what they do for the people and for the environment. And so that's it's not, it's not just about quality wine, although it, it is certainly that, but there's a social dimension as well. Mm-hmm. Please may answer that as well. It's about uh, planting to grow old. It's about preserving old vines, but it's about the culture of old vines. It's about keeping the farmers on the land and keeping the farm workers in their jobs. For me, I have a very soft spot, maybe, for farm workers because I've been working amongst them for, for 20 years now. And we're doing a lot of work on farm workers' education in the Old Vine Project. In South Africa, as the Old Vine Project, we're doing pruning courses with them. There's there's a couple of pruning courses coming up in June. And when we visit vineyards, we try to always include some of the farm workers in the education as well. But uh, Andrew, you seem to say something. Let's bring Andrew in here. How has the Old Vines Project benefited some of the producers that you're working with, either from a cultural standpoint, like Rosa had mentioned, or from a marketing standpoint? So Sarah, it's a, I'm, I'm going to give you quite a roundabout answer, but give you give you the answer that uh, that you're looking for. Hopefully, you know, for us, as Andre mentioned, I think we're one of the the larger um, old vine project members. 
We're also one of the larger producers in South Africa. And we don't we don't produce on behalf of other people. We produce for ourselves under a multitude of, of different brands. And this social responsibility is something that we take very, very seriously. It's something that, that really does come from the top. We don't employ 400 or 450 people. We look after 450 families. And that is not an immediate family. That is the extended family. So if we can provide a job for one person, they look after their family. And in turn, a lot of those families can look after each other. So we, yes, we produce wine and we, we market and, and sell it globally. But our core to our, our function is, is supporting the families that we employ, the way that we look at it. And at our core, we are, we are wine people. And if we talk about the Old Vine project, um, one of our brands is, is Bellingham. Uh, it's a brand that's at the center of our business and a brand that's been close to hearts for, for many, many years. And, you know, if we go back, there was a, a wine that we, we produced in 2002 was the maiden vintage uh, of Bellingham. It was called the Maverick. And we didn't specify how old the vines were, but our winemaker at the time was Graham Wirtz. And he had identified this old, low-yielding vineyard that produced a Chenin Blanc, produced intensity, it produced a different dimension of wines. And that is one of the first wines that we that we understand as uh, sort of recognizing this, as Rissa says, it's not necessarily a different quality, but a different dimension of uh, or different style or different type of wine, different quality of, of wine. So that goes back 20 years now, it's that we have really been vested in, in how special these, these old vines are. And and I'm getting back to your question is, it's all very well that we can produce two barrels of it, that we have one vineyard, we're producing two barrels, and we're assisting 10 farm workers. Uh, that's, that, that is fantastic. But our mission is then to say, how can we maintain that quality and really make a difference to as many people as we can, whether it's the, the grower, whether it's the farm workers, you know, and we're paying the, the grower a premium for his, for his fruit, uh, we're working with it in a, in a very premium way so that we can produce these exceptional, high-quality wines that have got this different dimension to it. But we really can make a big difference as far down the value chain, if that makes sense, as possible. So within the Bellingham range now, which this the Maverick has now, over 20 years, has evolved. Uh, it's still part of the Bellingham range. Uh, it's now called the Bernard Series, Old Vine Chenin Blanc. We now work with its three different vineyards, ranging from 1974 to 1983. They're all certified heritage vineyards. Um, as far as I understand it from Andre, I think it's the biggest volume of certified heritage wine uh, in, in South Africa. And just to put a number on that, what does that mean, the largest volume for context? It's in the region of 90,000 litres. And just to put that in, in context for you is... The 2020 vintage received 95 points in RWSC. It was in the Standard Bank top 10, Veritas double gold, and, and received a fantastic rating from Cyclic. The 2019 vintage, 97 points at Decanter, and received a Michelangelo Award for the best old vine wine in, uh, in South Africa. Now, we can all debate the merits of, uh, of, of awards, but the point I want to make is that even though we can do it in meaningful quantities and we can look after these it's, it's more than two or three barrels. We, we now look after a, a number of different producers. We pay them a fair rate for their, for their fruit so that it encourages them to plant to grow old, to keep their vineyards in the ground. It, it makes it financially viable for them. And we can make some very, very special wines in meaningful quantities that people can taste around the world. We've got it listed in some fantastic uh, supermarkets in the UK. Uh, it's available. And, in, uh, and also in Canada. 
we're beginning to be serious. Yes. Shen, yeah. and, and, and that leads me to a, another important question for you. Uh, I don't know what the current price is of that wine in our market, but it's not expensive. So I'm wondering, you identify the quality of this particular vineyard or these vineyards long before the old vine project was really underway. Today, you have that certified heritage vineyard sticker on the wine. What value does that bring from a commercial, you know, a business perspective? Have you been able to move the price in the right direction to support the farmers and also convey the quality that's in the bottle? John, we, we are working towards getting it to the right price. I think in Canada, it's a $29.95. It's an online exclusive uh, with LCBO. It'll be available with SAQ. I think it's middle of, middle of May at about the, the same price. Personally, I, I think that's a fantastic buy at that price. I think it offers exceptional value at $29.95. Um, I think the price in, in other markets still needs a bit of work, but we are able, we are still able to pay our grower partners the, the right price. And, and it's up to us now to make sure that uh, that we... But we, you're saying then, I mean, applying the sticker didn't immediately boost the price to the level that it needs to be to be sustainable, but it's moving in that direction. It enables us, it gives us, it gives us that another bargaining chip to say, guys, this, this is certified heritage vineyards. The price is going up. Not we would like to push the price up. The price is going up and this is what it's, what it's going to be. So commercially, I think it, it certainly does, it adds value to the, to the offering, to the wine. What that value is, I know Andre and Nadia have done work on it and, and added a, and, and sort of attributed a number to it. I, I can't attribute a specific number to it, but there certainly is value to the, the certification. Just to add on to the question about justification seal, we are increasingly seeing that there's a pull from the market for the seal to be on the bottle. So we will have members asking us or non-members to become a member and to get the seal on because the input demands a certificate from us that they're a member and that the seal is on the bottle. That's not only importers, but that's sommeliers, for example, as well. That's where... Cape wine, for example, was so mm. important uh, where we did the education during our seminar. And sommeliers go back to Germany or London or wherever, and they actually ask the, the winemakers, why don't you have the seal on? So there's a pull and there's not a push from our service. Mm. If, if I could maybe add to that, in 2000 and I think it was 2006 or 2007, uh, we bought Franchuk Seller, uh, which is obviously in Franchuk. And part of Franchuk Seller was an old sort of co op model. and Within that co-op model, there was this amazing Simeon vineyard planted in 1936, okay? And that was now going into a fairly, uh, let's say, modestly priced Simeon. No claim of old vines, no celebration of the vineyard at all, anything. And it was something that we recognized as something extremely special. This not only was the quality of the wine superior, but it's just it's all these different layers that that is one of, the, one of the main reasons why we launched a completely new brand to be able to celebrate these old wines. And we've got something in the old uh, old road wine company that the mission there is to celebrate these prized heritage vineyards in, in Franchuk. And uh, we've got this the Grand Mare old vine Semillon planted in 1936. And it's a, it's an exceptional vineyard. Versa knows it better than anyone, I, I believe. But, you know, it's something that we immediately recognized as it needed special attention. It needs to be celebrated. It needs to be heroed and, and, and respected for, for what it is. So another wine to put on our list of, of wines to taste there. Let's take note of that, yes. the, grand, the Grand Mare. But for all the students out there, let's let's go back. And, and Rosa, can you tell us where we would find the majority of old vines in South Africa, which regions, and what, what are the main varieties that have grown old so far? Thank you for the question. Just to catch on with what uh, Andrew said, there's been a lot of different research studies done in South Africa on old vines. 
research studies that we will present at the OIV Congress in uh, August, yeah. one of which is the consumer perception on price, uh, mm-hmm. carrying the seal of a wine that carries the seal or not the seal. And Jonathan Stang did this work at the UCT Business School, and he found that there is, in the consumer's mind, there's an inherent quality in a bottle of wine that carries the old vine seal. And so much so, Nadia, can I give you that figure? For every plant year that the vine gets older, according to Jonathan, the consumer is prepared to pay three rand more for a bottle of wine. So, for example, let's do the sums of a year. Vineyard is 30 years old. Our advice is to ask 350 rand for a bottle of wine that carries the old vine label. So if the vineyard is 35 years old, so for example, it's 350 rand. If it is 60 years old, then it's almost 400, 450 rand. In the consumer's mind, he's prepared to pay that. That has been a great support for us because we always thought these vines are so much better or no, not better, different. And now the research has actually been done on the consumer's perception, but also work was done by Professor Johan Berger at the University of Stellenbosch that found a marked difference between the juice from old vines as compared to the juice of young vines, the same clone, the same rootstock, the same slope, the same variety. This work was supported by Dylan, what is Dylan's surname in Australia? Dylan, this, Dylan Grigg, yes, we we're about to bring up his study. Which we've, we've, uh, we've just yes, spoken we've to him, through. yes. It's more or less the same thing. I found it in the vignettes uh, this year, very interesting, and it's not scientifically proven, but we we had a lot of heat waves in South Africa this year because of various reasons, mainly because of climate change. And I found in one of my sites, we have vineyards of 60, 70 years old, and we have vineyards of 10 years old. The vineyards from the older sites seem to keep their acidity, pH balance, much better during climatic stresses than young vines. Now, there's lots of reasons for it. One is a more dense root structure, more reserves built into the, into the wood and the roots, et cetera, et cetera. And the real vintage. And the, the memory of past vintages and, and vintages to come. Uh, there's a lot we can say about that. But to answer your question about the varieties, the biggest varieties we have <laughs> is with the varieties that were planted here first, which is Simeo, Shenan, Senso, Veranashka, no, no. Older, Muscat de Alexandri, and Palomino. Yeah, so Shenan is half of our plantings of vine. Mm. So Shenan Blanc plays a big role within our realm. And another research project was actually before Old Vine Project started, the Shenan Blanc Association roped in the University of Stellenbosch, and they, they did a sensorial test and trial to establish if old vine wines has got a different flavor profile, aroma profile, than mm-hmm. wines from younger vineyards, which was actually true. And they, had, they added those flavor um, elements to their, flavor, their um, aroma wheel. Where are they found now? Where are the regions where you can find the greatest concentration of old vine plantings? You know, every year everybody gets older, even vines. So every year there's a new set of 35s. So, and every year there's a new set of hundreds. So, as so far as I remember, Nadia will Can check that for us. No. How many vineyards are older than 100 years? Oh, no, there's only uh, nine. Four, less than 10. And Andre? No, no, but in terms of the region, the most old vines is Stellenbosch, Paul, Wellington. And then up Swartland in the West Coast. But relatively spoken to the other uh, areas planted in, in every region, it's all scattered all over the country. But what's very interesting, that's our oldest vineyards 
And that's when it's older than 100 years. As far as I remember, there's nine of them. Some of them are 122 years old. The Sabah started recording the date, planting dates of vineyards in South Africa only in 1900. Uh, we're very lucky in South Africa to have Sabah. It's a fantastic organization. And Yvette van Amarwe helps us tremendously in, the, in, the, in our work in the Old One Project. There's nine or eight vineyards recorded to have been planted in 1900. But some of them we know by word of mouth. They were planted year, long before that. 1900 date, that's the date that recordings first began, but some of those vineyards right. predated. I was looking at the website and I thought it was a little suspicious that so many vineyards happened to have been planted in that very same year. But no, of course, that was just when they were registered. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, so the footpath was planted according to the neighbor and the magistrate in town and some of the workers, families and da-da-da, planted between 1882 and 1887. The same with Muska de Muska de Alexandri, uh, other side, in the Toyskliff Pass that was also planted uh, way before the, the Boer Wars, which was 1900 to 1902, if I remember. It was 1800. 1899 to 1902. That was planted way before that. All those vineyards, or most of them, interestingly enough, are dryland vineyards. They're bush vine trained, goblet trained. And they planted on old riverbeds. Mm. So what does that tell you? They're unirrigated. Even today, they've been standing there for 122 or 140 years without irrigation. But there's water somewhere very, very deep down. It's not a running river. It's just an old riverbed. But that points us into another direction of viticulture that I find very interesting. It's like the, um, the Lacoline vineyard in front exactly. of us. Sandy soils right down on the on the riverbeds, the valley floor, but seems to just manage itself and uh, produce these incredibly intense mm-hmm. bunches. And uh, what what I find interesting there is that you get a mutation. That you've mm-hmm. got some years it's well every year you obviously get the the, the Semillon Blanc, but then some years some bushes are green and it's not the same ones every year. Sometimes it's uh, it's sort of got a little pinky grey hue. Uh, some years it doesn't. Some years a different bush will have it. And this mm-hmm. is sort of almost this indication of this bush or this tree or this plant managing its, itself over, that it's learned over these, uh, these years. So Rosa, given this discovery, all these discoveries you've made about these particular sites, if you were to give advice to a producer, to a grower who wanted to plant for the future, what are the specific conditions that uh, would best make for an age-worthy vineyard? Climate change has changed a lot. The threat of climate change has changed a lot for us in South Africa and all across the world during the last five years. But still, the basic basic rules are always to plant clean, plant without virus, plant clean material, and then to stay clean. In South Africa, one of our biggest problems is the leaf roll virus. Most of our old vineyards have leaf roll virus, but somehow... The effect of leaf roll virus is not that extensive in old vines as in young vines for some reason. Maybe it's because of all their reserves. Maybe it's because of their low yields. Uh, we don't know yet. But I think plant uh, clean, stay clean. And because of climate change now, we would move to the cooler sites. I would plant in the cooler sites, definitely. But there's no science behind what I say now. This is instinctively mm-hmm. what I feel. Right. Plant in the cooler sites, plant in the southerly and easterly slopes, and plant a bit higher. Uh, not necessarily where there's water, although drought is a big threat for us in future, especially in the western part of uh, mm-hmm. the Western Cape. Plant cooler, plant higher, and of course, look at your soil health. 
soil health for me is a is a huge issue in vines and especially old vines. If we keep old vines, the soil more healthy, we can retain more water. We have less pioneer weeds. We can stop erosion, which is a huge issue in our country. We can have more nutrient uptake from the naturally from the soil. And there's a whole list. I made a list right. last night. I've been doing a lot of work on climate change, and we're presenting a huge, we hopefully might be presenting a huge thing at, at a Congress somewhere in the future. Are there certain varieties that, from a genetic perspective, have more potential longevity, or is it really site and farming practices that, that make the difference? You know, we've been about 15 years ago, I went overseas to all my countries, came back and I said to a local nursery here in Vititech, which is the nursery I work with in the Old Line Project, that we have to find new varieties to combat the drought and the heat that, we have, that we're experiencing now. At the time, the chief in charge at Vititech was Niku Spriet. We worked together like a dream. We imported about 25 new varieties, Bardalu, Macabayo, Acertico, Bicol Blanc, uh, the strangest Greek variety that I have imported, which I'm not so sure that's going to work, but the rest of them are planted. We planted a lot of those, and they seem to make a huge difference mm-hmm. in lifting the acidity and keeping the wines fresher because that's the first thing that falls away in the heat wave. But then we also decided to take cuttings of our oldest vineyards in South Africa. 15 years ago, we started with that project, Deborah Isaacs from Lormara helped me with that, and she ran with it for a while as well. We took cuttings from Skirfmerg, from Adi Bardnost, old, old Shannon, from a Garnash vineyard in Pekinius-Kloof, and we cleaned it up from all known viruses, and we're now making new material from that. So for me, I'm not so sure that that's going to work, because you're now making a clone. And would that have the same character as the old vines? Or is the or is it a genetic nature mm. or nature? So you know that's a that's a whole new subject on its own. But we have done it, and people are starting to plant the, those new cleaned up material now. Well, at least uh, would you say that it contributes to the diversity of the gene pool in some of those areas that could benefit from it? Absolutely. The more diverse, I believe in biodiversity. I believe in biodiversity not only in terms of vineyards, but in terms of the surrounding area. With a lot of the old wines, we find that they're planted amongst feinbos, which is our in, indigenous, flora. indigenous flora, and it's planted next to flail, uh, wetlands. So if you can have a biodiverse surrounding, you can combat diseases so much better. You can retain moisture, and there's lots of benefits to that. In terms of biodiverse vineyards, I think the heritage, what we call the heritage program, which is cultivating all these new plants from old vineyards in South Africa is going to teach us a lot about the longevity of old vines and the role the terroir plays versus the role the nurseryman or the variety plays. One thing we did find that is extremely interesting, I think, not all people believe it's interesting, but I do, is there's a Shannon vineyard in Skirfberg, which is the famous place now, it just yields all varieties. It's just spectacular wine. I mean, Andrew is smiling. He knows mm-hmm. He knows about that side. So it, it's just yeah. next level, like the people in the vineyards here would say. We found a vineyard there, three vineyards, three Shannon vineyards, that from the cuttings we took, and we took about 12 cuttings from every vineyard. 
completely clean of all known viruses. The scientists get very nervous when I talk about this, but why would they be clean? Amongst leaf roll infested vines, is it a genetic thing or is it just an absence of vectors that spreads leaf roll? What is it? Uh, if we, if I can uh, inherit, play the lottery and win, win a million bucks now or five million bucks, whatever, I will do research on that because if we can find a resistant clone, then we win. So these were cuttings that you pulled out from the vineyards already clean, not some of these other cuttings that you had to clean up. No, no, no. This is from the existing vineyard. It was a project at that time run by the Chenin Blanc Association with Ina Smith and Antov, which is the French nursery. They came to South Africa. My understanding was, and I sat around them at a table at my house for dinner. We had extensive, very nice uh, dinners and meetings in the, in the vineyards. They said they wanted to see why South African chilling is so special. They've tasted it overseas and there's something special about it. They came to South Africa, they took out things and they found that some of these clones, they don't call it clones because it's not the clone anymore. They call it selections. Some of these selections survived in South Africa, but did not become extinct in France. So that's why they we took cuttings of that. And by way of the research they've done, they found that these are virus-free. So that brings to mind a conversation I had with Andre some years ago. I know you were talking, Andre, about investigating into actual genetic change, DNA change, similar to what Andrew was saying in the, in the Lacoline vineyard with these spontaneous mutations. Have you carried out that research? Have you discovered that vines living in a certain place for 35 or more years actually undergo some kind of genetic mutation that makes them particularly well-suited to that site? Mm. Or is that still for the future? Yeah, that's where I was heading towards earlier with your question about the mandate is that it wasn't only about saving old vines and I realized then it's about people. And then we realized it's about research and trying to find out. And that's when I coined the term plant to grow old because we want to see mm. why that vineyard survived there for 60 or 80 or 100 years and what the genetics is. And that's what Marissa referred to, uh, Professor Johan Berger's research on, on, on pinotage and that the juice is different and that the genetics actually changes the epigenetics. And currently, we've just received funding from an industry organization called WineTech to do um, clonal research on Chenin Blanc, old vine Chenin Blanc, to try and establish. And it's, it's been done before, uh, I think, on Merlot in France and Zinfandel in California, but it's not a common practice thing. And uh, we are going to do it on, on Chenin to start with, to assist our industry to understand which clones is more suitable in which areas. And that, I think it's going to be quite valuable. It's it's a very um, uh, complex situation because some of these oldest vineyards of Shannon was muscle selected cuttings. So that's not one clone; it's a selection of clones. Mm. Or uh, that's why they call it selections. Uh, some of these old vines we've been walking with the ampelographers in the field, and they would notice that there's ten different clones in one row right next to each other. They look different. They have different petiole, color petioles. They have different size or shape of bunches. So um, I think this research is going to show us a lot. And I'm very happy that we found the funding for that. And I also want to just, as Jonathan Stein always says, let's circle back to the certification seal. Mm -hmm. The the fact that Rosa managed to get the list from Savas, from Yvette, is, is crucial and instrumental in the success of the old vine project in South Africa, it would not have existed if we didn't have access to that information. And then that led to the certification seal because that gives the, the consumer 
the guarantee of traceability to go back to the planting date. And you can actually, you know that it is guaranteed planted in that year. If you buy any other old vine, so-called old vine wine in the world, it says old vine or Vivine or and uh, Alton Reben or whatever, they would say to you, it's an old vine. But is it 26 years old or 68 years old? Here we've set the, the standard, 35 years old, as I explained earlier. With the South African Old Vine Project, we created an old vine category. So if you open a wine list, walk into a, a wine shop, mm-hmm. you would see Sauvignon Blanc or white wine or red wine or uh, fair trade or whatever you want to call it. These are all categories. There's never been an old vine category, and that's what we managed to, to establish. And that, I think, adds value to our members. It's also a first in the world, and nobody else can do it because they don't have a service. There's no traceability right. anywhere. So, so I have to interject with one small little technical question then on the certification. What percentage of the vines in a given vineyard have to be from the original planting? Because we all know vines die mm, and they get yes. replaced. And if you've had a vineyard for 100 years, there's no way 100% of those vines are from the original planting. Is there is there a percentage that you've established? <laughs> I bet. <laughs> shaking, shaking head from, from Rosa? <laughs> are, you, are you at liberty to say, or is that, is that not more than 15% can be young okay, vines? So, so let's let's clarify that. And, and I think you would agree with me in our discussions with old vine curators overseas. And I speak, I spoke to people in Spain and Portugal, five to eight percent, but that's any given time. There's a lot of vineyards in France that I've seen that's interplanted, and there's 75 percent of that old block is young, younger vines. So it's not an old vine block anymore. Mm. So what we discussed is that, and, and Rissa and I have a bit of a difference on it, but I think if we give it, <laughs> Rissa wants it to be 15% at any given time, yes. which I think is acceptable because it does not influence the flavor profile of the wine. That's the, the most- From the old vines. From the old vines. Old vines. So in, in an interesting example is Mephra Kirsten, which is the oldest Chenin Blanc in, in South Africa that Ibn Saudi vinifies. When he found that block, it was really derelict. And he, in one of the first years of, uh, of, of reviving the vineyard, and Arisa, you were involved with that. Mm. He interplanting was 25%, but he said he had to do it to keep that vineyard going. It's like the kids coming to visit the grandparents in the old age home, you know, keep them alive and keep them happy and joyful. <laughs> and what he does is he then, so Mufra Kirsten is Mrs. Kirsten. He harvests the young vines first because they ripen two to three weeks before the old vines. And he keeps it separate, and that's Mrs. Ah. And then two, three weeks later, okay. he harvests Mrs. Kirsten, and he keeps them separate. And as the young vines okay. come up, you can start blending them in but without um jeopardizing or uh, what's the word Con- contra- compromising the quality compromising mm-hmm. your flavor profile unique profile. yeah one of the best descriptions that uh, that i've heard you describe the difference between old vines and young vines is if i can sum it up the difference between a miss and a missus um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a little bit more to that description, but <laughs> I think I think hold it right there. <laughs> Let's move on to the next question, John. <laughs> well, I think to 
I think to round off the conversation, why don't we talk about what these old vines contribute organoleptically to the final product, to the wine itself? You mentioned earlier Dylan Griggs' thesis and one of the many findings, despite the fact that vigor actually he found increased uh, potentially in older vines, that there were some differences in aroma and flavor attributes. He says that older vines were perceived to have greater flavor and aroma, particularly fresh red fruit, floral, or confectionery characters. Wines from younger vines were higher in perceived alcohol sensation with a darker fruit profile. Now, do you agree anecdotally with some of these findings? And if not, what do you think defines the product of an old vine? So I always end my, my formal presentations with a slide that answers this question. And it's basically when, when I've spoken to any winemaker across the world and in South Africa, and I ask that question, part of the answer is complexity. Mm-hmm. Palate weight, texture, mouthfeel, length. These are the, the technical terms just to basically. Um, and then the when we taste, I, I told Rissa, um, one of her clients buys in some, some grapes from Skirfberg, but he's based down in Botrever, um, Peter Allen Phillison. And we were there yesterday just to visit and see how things are going. And we tasted some wines and I tasted a Savio Blanc from an Amphora blind. And uh, we were looking at each other, and I just think, I, I thought, there's a bit of Skirfberg in here. And it was a portion of the wine was a bit of Skirfberg Sauvignon Blanc, old wine. And you can taste the sight. And that's what Rissa always says. You taste the sight. When you start tasting a variety from old vines, it doesn't show Shinnen like with young vines. It doesn't show Sauvignon Blanc overtly. It starts showing the sight. That's, that's the theme of the Shinnen Blanc uh, Congress in November, which is the second one of the first inaugural one in 2019 in, in the Loire. The theme is Chenin Blanc showing an exposing sight. That definitely rounds it up. And you're seeing that these older vines show a clearer expression of sight. We'll be sure to, uh, to post an image of that. In fact, maybe we'll make it the cover art of this particular episode. Oh, yeah, that would be a good idea. Heritage Vineyard Seal. John, if I could, I could just add uh, my last comment on the on the seal mm-hmm. is uh, we've spoken a, a lot about the technical the preservation of old vines, planting to grow old, uh, and we've spoken about the consumer pool. But from a commercial perspective, there's also a gatekeeper that we a lot of the time we need to get through. In in the case of Canada, it would be the LCBO. Uh, in the case of the UK, it would be the supermarket buyer. And a lot of the times, this is that that foot in the door. That you, it's, a, it's an old one. It's certified heritage for it. It's, it's a different dimension. Before you even get to the consumer, you, you have to get through these gatekeepers. It's, as, I, as I said earlier, you can command a price for it. It's not, you're not asking a price. You're saying this is certified heritage vintage, uh, vineyards. It was planted in X year. This is the price. And they know that the, there's going to be the consumer pull, but they just have to put it on the shelf first. Yeah, that's beautifully into my last, my last question for you, Andrew, which was very much on that topic. You know, South Africa is known for many, many things, good wine included. I'm not sure that old vine wine is really on the top of even most gatekeepers' head. How far along would you say the awareness of the wealth of old vines in South Africa? Uh, how far along the curve are we from a trade perspective, but maybe also from a consumer perspective, which I'm sure is even further down the curve? I think from a consumer perspective, still very much in its in its infancy, but the curve is going in the in the right direction. The more and more interactions that we have con- with consumers um, about this topic, in the past it was we would 
felt we were doing a bit of an educational job. This is from an old vine. Oh, what is an old vine? It's planted after, uh, it's 35 years old. Why is it different? And then we would be doing the explaining. But now we're finding a lot more consumers are coming to us and asking us, have you got any other old vine wines? We've got older, different regions, those, those sorts of things. So the curve is going in the right direction. I think the, the knowledge of the trade is a lot further ahead than the knowledge of the consumers. So the likes of the gatekeepers, sommeliers, uh, restaurant owners, um, chefs, the trade is, I would say, it's not quite mature, but a large part of the trade now, if you ask them about an old vine or old vineyard project or what makes a, a vineyard old, they'd be able to give you a fairly extensive answer. But I think the consumer knowledge has got a bit of a uh, bit of a way to go. And I think the work that the old vine project is doing is exactly on the right track. It's a lot of PR work and a lot of, uh, a lot of consumer uh, activations, which is... Exactly. So you're saying Andre still has a reason to be. He should carry on doing his presentations around the world, spreading the word, <laughs> educating <laughs> trade and consumers. There you go. I was just trying to make sure you had an assured future there for the old vine project. <laughs> heads on well done. Oh, thank you so much for your time today. It was really enlightening. And we'll, we'll look forward to following the progress of the, the old vines project. Yeah, thank you all so much for your time. Great information, and this will make for a, a terrific episode. And more importantly, great drinking once we track some of those yes. wines down. Thank you to our guests, Rosa Kruger, Andre Morgenthal, and Andrew Harris. So John, what magic happens at 35 years of age to a vineyard? Well, it does seem to be a sort of arbitrary number plucked out of nowhere. But I think, I mean, considering our discussion in the previous episode in South Australia, it seems to be, obviously, it's not a hard and fast age. It's not like at 34 and a half, these vines are young, and at 35 in a week, they're now suddenly old. But it seems to be on the whole, when a vine has sort of filled in its maximum root space and canopy above and found its natural balance. For some vines, it'll happen, of course, a little bit earlier. For some, it might take a little bit longer. But at some point, you got to draw a line in the sand. And 35 years seems to be a sensible place at which you can say with some certainty and scientific rigor that the vine is now old and it's found its happy place. Does that sound about right to you, Sarah? I agree. And you know, it sounds like it's not just scientific rigor that shows that there there is something that changes around 35 years. But also, Andre mentioned that he was at Pro Wine recently. He made appointments to speak with wine producers in countries with old vines, and that many of them were in agreement on that age, that particular age, that 35 is this sort of magic number for vineyards when they they reach that point of maturity. So Rosa and Andre talked a lot about preserving, not only preserving old vines, but about preserving the culture of old vines, uh, as well as that humanitarian piece of this puzzle and how they're creating resources, not just for the individual workers, but for their families as well. Yeah, I quite like that this old vine project isn't just about cataloging old vineyards across the Cape winelands and seeing if those would produce better wines or different wines. I mean, it goes much deeper than that. And the humanitarian angle is, is a great one. As you know, old vines sells wines if it's mentioned on the label. More importantly, it also raises the price of those wines, which also means that the grape growers can charge more for the grapes that go into those wines. 
and thus uh, a virtuous circle is created whereby the the growers the workers uh, make a little bit more money and support their family and uh, and and break the cycle that uh, or that dynamic between rich wineries and poor growers so that the world is a is a little bit more balanced so it's about balance in the vineyards but balance in the wine industry and also about growing old for the future right it's not about just what is old now as we mentioned off the top but rather what might be old in 50 or 100 years and every year there's another vineyard that turns 35 so that list of of old vine vineyards is growing and we want to make sure that they continue to grow and that's what the old vine project is doing yes and there are also environmental benefits as well and especially learning how to grow for the future which is changing due to global warming rosa was saying that there were a lot of heat waves in south africa this past year and in her experience older vines were able to keep their acidity their pH balance much better, likely due to a lot of causes because that denser root structure that you mentioned and more reserves build up. And she also says something that I think is really interesting, the memory of past vintages, and because we do know that past vintages imprint on grapevines. Yeah, it might be a bit romantic to anthropomorphize a vine and give it human <laughs> characteristics, but there's there's clearly something there, whether it's it has an actual memory, of course. I don't. I don't believe that's true. But when you've got a more established vine, of course, it's going to be a little bit more stable. And preserving these old vines will have that side benefit of preserving genetic material, genetic diversity, and out of those selections could well be found some varieties that are resistant to things like leaf roll virus, which is a big problem in South Africa, as we know, and other parts of the world, uh, and also as a, as a resource of material to find selections to combat climate change, drought and extreme heat, you know, vine that has survived in a place like South Africa for a hundred or more years certainly has uh, a different genetic makeup that might make it more suitable for uh, the coming world that, that is around the corner. In fact, it's probably already here. Right. So it's actually, you know, about cataloging the individual selections within these old vineyards that can reveal all sorts of secrets and perhaps help protect vineyards in the future. She's talking a lot about cleaning up the material that they're finding. I'd like to know a little bit more about how they do that in nurseries, how they clean up the material. Well, we hope Rosa wins the lottery so that she can launch into that research and, uh, and really, what is she going to do? She's going to save the world. But Sarah, do old vines make better wine? Back to our original question off the top here. I know you've tasted plenty of old and young vine wines side by side, Chenin Blanc and otherwise from South Africa. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, so I definitely think that there is a difference, um, but I'm changing my perspective because I think that for a long time before doing these interviews, you know, I had a certain bias being taught that old vines produce more concentrated wines, but I've always found that there is some sort of difference and definitely in, in the complexity of these wines and the balance of the wines. And I love the idea that was mentioned by Andre that perhaps as these vineyards grow older, the wines that they produce are less, have less distinctive varietal character or character of the grape variety and more, are more a reflection of the site. There seems to be this, this greater transparency. I think that's a really hard thing to prove in a lab that there is uh, perhaps a greater expression of site, but maybe there is a way. And I'd like to hear a lot more 
more about that. I know that there's been some research that was undertaken by the Old Vine Chenin Blanc Association, finding some differences in flavor profiles. Some of the organoleptic differences mentioned between young old vines included increased complexity, as I mentioned, but also palate weight and texture and mouthfeel and that all-important length, which it can be a serious marker of a quality wine. Well, Sarah, here's my two cents. I mean, I love, again, the romantic notion of a more transparent wine, less varietal. But in my experience, it was it was pretty simple, not 100% of the time, but enough to uh, to make a, a statement. You know, young Chenin Blanc is, you know, for the most part, fruitier. It's a little bit simpler. It's a little bit lighter and more green apple, more varietal, I guess you could say, compared to uh, the textural and layered nature of old vine Shannon. And you know, I'm all about texture. Aromas come and go in a wine, but texture is there to stay from start to finish. And for me, a much more important thing or more closely tied to my notion of what a quality wine is. And old vines tend to deliver that more regularly than young vines. So uh, for me, it's um, it's a pretty hands down clear uh, association between old vines and great wine. So there you go. There's my bold statement of the day. I know I'm going to be challenged on that one, and I'm ready to run away. No, I'm ready to defend. Well, I'll back you up on that one, Sean. So I think we've reached the end of another long episode. Thanks for sticking with us to the end. As always, do drop us some comments. Do you prefer the wines of old vines, or is it all marketing mumbo-jumbo, a little hocus-pocus on the label to sell wines at a greater price? I'm your co-host, John Sabo. And I'm Sarah D'Amato. See you next week. <laughs>